Good morning to you all. I'm Peter, and I'm one of the pastors here. This morning, I want to introduce our storyteller, Monica Finnefrock. What I want to share with you about her is that she is a really, really fun person. And uh, there's a lot of laughter and joy and emotion in her life, and I just love that about her. And you think that's all you get, but as soon as you get to know her, you realize there's a whole world, a giant world inside of her. And she's got many, many stories, and we're going to hear just one of them today. So Monica, come on up and tell us a story. Good morning. For the last 17 years, whenever I've spoke at a church, a conference, or a missions event, it started with me or Jake and us saying, we are missionaries. Every trip home involved preaching or reporting on our work overseas, highlighting successful ministry moments, sharing the challenges we face living in, among an unreached people group. For example, at the beginning of any presentation or talk that Jake and I would give, it would sound something like this. Did you know that there are 6,909 living languages in the world? And did you know that only half of those have access to scripture in their own language? And did you know that there are hundreds and hundreds of unreached people groups who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? We live among one of those people groups in East Asia called the Gum. They have their own distinct language and culture, and they live among bamboo forests in the mountains, surrounded by streams and terraced rice paddies. Their architecture is unique, as you can see, with this drum tower, which is the community center in every village built by masterful carpenters. We live in a small apartment in a market town surrounded by gum villages. For us to live there, we have to gain permission from the gov government and obtain specialized visas. We are monitored by the police and have to report our movement and work habits. Jake works to improve education in village schools while I work with women in the community and do village healthcare education. Our children attend local school, the first foreign kids to do so in this very part of China. And then I would share with you stories of our life living among the gum. Stories of village life, meeting with young people in our home who are eager to learn about the Jesus way, and I would thank you for supporting our work that God had called us to. So this is the first time in 17 years where I will refer to myself now as a missionary in the past tense. Identity is a funny thing. It makes you, or it marks you, and makes uh, people see you in a certain light or assume things about you. It certainly influences the way you see yourself. And it's funny when your identity changes abruptly or gradually, you go from being that to now this. And for me, the transition from missionary to nursing school instructor to nursing instructor and living on Mercer Island has been one of the most challenging experiences of my life. In 1999, Jake and I quit our jobs and joined a missions organization that focuses on Bible translation, literacy, and community development in over 80 countries. Our first assignment led us to rural Kenya, where we led a three-year short-term project. After that, we returned to the States and had our first child, Creed. We then moved to rural China when he was 10 months old and made our home there for the next 10 years. Chloe and Lincoln were born in Asia and grew up along with Creed, knowing our small town of Liping as their home. They were immersed in life there and thrived, despite having to wrestle with their skin color and fitting in. If you ask them today where home is, they will probably tell you Liping. It's all they ever knew until we moved back two years ago. When Jake and I moved overseas, we were responding to the Lord's call on our life to go, and I personally never thought about coming back. 
I knew we'd come home to visit family and friends, but I envisioned us living somewhere off probably forever. So in 2015, when we decided not to go back to China, in my head, I knew it was the right decision and the right response to God's direction, but I simply couldn't accept it. I was devastated, angry, disappointed, and felt like a failure. Everything about our decision made sense from a practical standpoint. Being near aging parents, helping our kids adjust to their passport country, and just phasing out of our ministry in East Asia into a new season of life. It was especially hard because Jake and I were wrestling with the transition differently. He was looking ahead, eager to use his gifts and passions to provide for our family here. But for me, I was looking back there, seeing the faces of friends, villagers, and teammates who we had bonded with over a 10-year period and didn't want us to leave. What made things even more challenging was going from living among a very impoverished and marginalized, marginalized people group, where people are jailed for professing their faith, faith in Jesus, to living on Mercer Island. All of a sudden, I went from bartering for my vegetables, five cents a cucumber, to almost passing out in the aisles of QFC. <laughs> Coming here, I felt lost, alone, and without purpose. I certainly couldn't put my village living skills to use here anymore, and the minority language I had learned only exists back there. I found it difficult to talk to those at home because my worldview no longer matched theirs. I had unspoken questions. Will God love me as much? Will my faith survive being transplanted from foreign soil to a familiar land? Because I had not anticipated the challenges I faced upon return, I struggled for months, at times doubting. The following quote from a fellow missionary eloquently sums up the emotions I felt when returning to the USA. She says, like a woman's, woman's body after giving birth, you are forever altered. Even when back to your original weight, your body mass has shifted with the weight of new life. Your skin stretched to capacity and back. And yet, perhaps only you will notice the difference. Some will never know the life you birthed abroad and how it transformed you. You have changed in a million indescribable ways. You carry hidden scars and surprising superpowers. You suffered in large and small ways, but you also celebrated. The first time you were able to tell the shopkeeper exactly what color of fabric you wanted to buy. The first time you went across town in a taxi alone. Or the time you finally detected a spark of true friendship. You bumbled and fumbled with language, but trusted God would speak and he did. You saw lives transformed by God working in spite of you. You developed competency in a foreign culture and, dare you say, thrived. Friends, <clears throat> how I wish you knew the sights, sounds, people, and experiences that encompassed our life in China. How can I explain to you the lengths we would go to to travel into villages high up in the mountains? How can I explain to you the moment of utter relief when our visas were renewed? How can I convince you that spicy, sour, pickled fish is simply the best food on the planet? It is. And that fried grasshoppers are a treat that my children miss. I wish you knew the comfort of sitting inside a gum drum tower, the community center of a village, with children playing, old men smoking their pipes and discussing the harvest, while women burn incense for their ancestors. How can I explain to you the absolute purity and haunting tones of a gum women's choir singing around a fire on a cold winter's night? The songs my daughter learned to sing at her local preschool and would go on to perform for government officials who refused to allow gum children to learn to read and write in their own language. I wish you saw the joy on children's faces when Jake would visit the schools and tell them, your language has value. 
It is your treasure. Don't ever be ashamed to be who you are. I wish you knew the excitement that came when some of the first gum believers wanted to be baptized and were eager to see their culture redeemed by Jesus. And how can I make you ever understand how serious it is to claim to be a Christian in this part of the world or in that part of the world? How could I expect anyone to understand the complete and utter devastation Jake and his team experienced when the bilingual education programs he helped initiate in village schools were shut down by corrupt government officials? Years of learning, striving, training, caring, growing, years of our life spent in a place no one would ever know or think about, a place that we called home. The answer to these questions is simply, I can't. I can't make you understand what the last 17 years of my life has been like. To expect that from anyone would be foolish on my part. But that is the tricky thing. To take a journey different from many of my peers is to choose a path marked by loneliness and yet unspeakable joy. At the same time, I take comfort in knowing that really we can never fully understand each other's stories or our journeys. But we can honor one another by listening to what has shaped us and made us who we are today, right now in this room. Two years ago, we found ourselves on Mercer Island and didn't know anyone here except for the Selvigs. Joan just happened to be my mother-in-law's best childhood friend. So we decided to visit this church of hers called Evergreen. I remember walking in that Sunday with a heavy heart. But during the worship time, I looked up. And when I saw the unique architecture of the ceiling here, I lost my breath and tears filled my eyes. It looked just like the inside of a gum drum tower. It was as if God was saying, surprise, I love you. The warmth of the welcome we received was so sweet. We were introduced to a family who had also spent time in China, who introduced us to Peter, who connected us with the missions team, who came alongside us as we figured out our next steps. As we began to share our story of coming home, we were encouraged to rest and to take our time. Phone calls came in for playdates, dinners, and joining a small group. I joined my first Bible study in 15 years. That was in English. As we became connected to the body here, there were times I had to pinch myself. It was beginning to feel, dare I say, like home. But I do have my moments like today. My heart aches to see our gum friends. There are people we love dearly that we'll probably never see again and places we love that touched our daily lives as they provided the backdrop of our ordinary overseas days that now seem to exist only in our minds. And those people and places will most likely be forgotten by my younger children. Sometimes I have a hard time believing the places we lived are on the same planet. I find myself getting caught off guard driving down the freeway, standing on the sidelines of a soccer game, or shopping for groceries when a sudden feeling of sadness, guilt, or comfort, along with pictures in my mind of faraway places and people, overcomes me. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy to be where I am, and, was, and returning was the right thing to do. But if there's one thing my time in Kenya and China taught me, it's that happy and sad can coexist in the same heart at the exact same time. I'm getting through it day by day, and the intensity of my emotions are lessened by the acknowledgement of their presence as I continue to have a clear understanding of myself and my story. 
Most importantly, I have learned that God's plan is always perfect, and looking back, I see his fingerprints on everything. And let me tell you a little secret. Every Sunday, Jake and I glance upwards, and we feel very, very loved. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of John. Please follow along in your Bibles or use the screens. I'll be reading the selected verses from John chapter 16 in the New American Standard Bible. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. The word of the Lord. Jake was crying like a baby the whole time. He was advancing Monica's slides, but his fingers were just shaking. What a baby. It's just an encouragement. We can do it if he did it. I want to thank you all for coming out to Sunday service today. Thanks, a special thanks to the youth band. How great was it to see them up here? That's been in the works for months, you guys. And... uh, they, they just did a great job. Thank you guys for doing that. We love you for doing that. But really, who cares about them? Because uh, our church entered a basketball tournament last week, and we won. That's the trophy. The trophy's on the coffee table. The trophy's on the coffee table if you want to kiss it or whatever you need to do. Um, yeah, so... That's fun. (laughs) Uh, We are in the midst, uh, towards the end of a series in the book of John. We've been calling the Son of God. And today, the title of the sermon is Liminal Space. It's really been fun for me to master how to say this word. Say it with me. Liminal. Liminal. Such a fun word. Liminal space. Uh, I have been engaged in this practice called spiritual direction. I meet with a pastor. Uh, She is in her late 60s or early 70s. She lives up in Alaska. And for our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, she founded uh, the Spiritual Direction Training Program for us. And she's taught it all over the world. She teaches in California and, of course, North Park in Chicago, but really around the world. And I feel uh, so lucky to have her in my life. She's been walking with me as a spiritual director for 15 years. She's been uh, with me through every major transition in my life. I don't even know how to think uh, when I'm thinking transitional thoughts. I don't even know how to think about it without thinking in her voice. Her words are in my head. She's one of the 
uh, key lifelines in my life, one of the many mentors that I reference uh, with you all. And I had an amazing session this past week. I have these once a month, we're on the phone. I really like doing it on the phone because I sort of sink into my own reality. It's like watching a really great movie in a movie theater. And then you come out of the movie and it's still daylight and you kind of have to reorient to the real world. It's kind of that feeling every time I meet with her. And we were talking and one metaphor that came up for us that was so powerful for me And because she's been walking with me, she understands sort of how I think. I'm a real visual thinker. And I said, you know, uh, Susie's asked me to hang up my running shoes. I keep getting injured. It just doesn't seem like it's worth it anymore. The uh, pros and cons don't work so well uh, uh, with running at this point in my life. And so I was talking to Helen. Her name is Helen about this. She said, what is it that you're doing these days? And I said, well, you know, I've been kind of getting into hiking since this summer. I'm really into it. I really like it. I try to go at least once a week uh, myself or with others. And she said, well, tell me more about that. We just talked about what hiking has become for me. And then she asked the question, is there an inner reality inside of you that reflects the outer reality of hiking that you're practicing in? Because I found that to be true, that when I was younger, when I was a younger man, I really liked doing shorter races, 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. And then as I got older, I began to do longer races, and I started doing marathons. And I realized, I recognized, and Helen and I recognized together that I have to be sort of a different person on the inside to be able to do marathons, because it's a different kind of thing than running a 5K or a 10K. I have to have a different view, a different kind of patience, a different kind of goal setting. That has to happen internally for me to be psychologically matched to the physical outer act of running marathons and training for it. Six months of rain or shine, cold or hot, light or dark kind of things. And here's what we realize, that it is true that I have to be a different person on the inside for me to really enjoy hiking these days. Hiking for me is about liminal space. And we're going to get back to hiking, and I'll show you a couple of pictures because I want you to hold on to this metaphor throughout the sermon, and maybe it's your one takeaway, that life really is like a hike. More than a run, it's kind of like a hike. Here is what liminal space is is. Liminal space comes from uh, the Latin, it has Latin roots from the 19th century, and it literally means threshold. You know, the transition between rooms, that, that line that represents the transition, transitional space, where it's not that room or that room, it's sort of its own space, but it's neither of the other two. It's not, it's not what you're familiar with, it's not where you're going. The quality of ambiguity or disorientation, notice that word, that occurs in the middle stage of rituals when participants no longer hold their pre-ritual status but have not yet begun the transition to the status they will hold when the ritual is complete. During a ritual's liminal stage, participants stand at the threshold between their previous way of structuring their identity, time, or community and a new way which the ritual establishes. 
I love the way the uh, story that Monica told and what I want to share with you today uh, syncs up together. She was describing liminal space. Life as she knew it, but life now, but it's not really kind of life now. She looks up and she sees a similar pattern in the ceiling. Says, oh, I'm not there, but there's an invitation for me to be here. Not sure I'm quite here yet. That's liminal space. The Bible teaches that we are in liminal space by definition. We're sort of in this in-between place where we have to live our life from faith to faith to faith to faith to faith to faith. And we think there's going to be an end to faith, that maybe we can stop believing and we can just start knowing. The Bible says, no, 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 no. In this here life now, life is, my call on you is to live from faith to faith. You will not arrive. You're not going to be a final product just yet. You're not in your final form. This isn't how things are going to always be. You live in transition. Jesus was here, and that marked the beginning of a whole new season. And until Jesus returns, the Bible teaches, that forever life that I speak to you about, it's not going to happen yet. Not until then. For now, for now, you are living a life in transition, in liminal space. Uh, a book that I uh, found myself returning to as I meditated on this topic this week was C.S. Lewis's book. The book is called A Grief Observed. And it's a book that uh, chronicles his journey out of grief into joy again after the passing of his wife. Some of you know that C.S. Lewis kept holding out to get married. And in his old age, he got married and he fell deeply in love with his wife. And then she was gone. Um, I have a copyright-free version of the book, A Grief Observed, the whole book in PDF form that you can export to your Kindle or you can read right on your phone or in your screens. I have that in the sermon notes for you for free, so you can go ahead and read the whole book if you like to sort of do a deeper dive into what it's like to live in a state of grief. Where your wife is no longer with you, but you still kind of have her, where you're not really in joy, but you're sort of right before joy. That transitional space that C.S. Lewis uh, pens these words as only he can to describe it. It's just really powerful. I encourage you to read it. We live in liminal space, and this liminal, liminal space is not for the weak or the weary of heart. It really takes a tremendous amount of resilience and strength and courage to stay, to stand, to stay the course, to be here, to live just as we are, without living in the past, without pretending we're in the future, but right here to be present now and to open ourselves up in this uncomfortable place that we're calling liminal space today. 
Uh, this is one of my now favorite hikes. It's Mailbox Peak. Anybody hiked Mailbox Peak? It's one of the more intense hikes around here. It's over 4,000 feet of elevation, and if you do it the right way, it's just within the span of two miles. So it's almost a scramble up to the peak, but once you get there, you have amazing 360-degree views, and at the very peak of the peak, there is a mailbox, hence the name Mailbox Peak, and you open this mailbox up, and people have left stuff, snacks for you to eat, they've left letters, there's a lot of tears in there, there's just stories of exactly where people are at and what inspired them to do this really hard hike, and it's really fun. And so there's a physical, but also kind of a connectional aspect to this hike. But uh, this is really my favorite hike. This was just uh, on Friday. That's my family. Uh, the good-looking one is me, and next to him uh, is my wife, Susie, and then my four okay-looking kids. Uh, this photo wasn't touched up. This was just a beautiful day, just 52 minutes from here. It's a beautiful seven-mile hike. But here's how hiking is different than running. As I uh, and Helen talked about it uh, this week, when I'm running, there's a kind of self-choosing I have to keep doing. There's something inherently self-oriented about running because if I have a goal, I have to do my, get my miles in. If I don't, the race is over because all of the race is determined in the training. And so I can't compromise on the training. So when I'm training for a marathon, I'm running many, many miles a week, 50, 60 miles a week for five to six months. That's a lot of alone time. You know, there's a kind of uh, blinders, uh, metaphorical blinders I have to put on to do that. I have to have a kind of laser focus and a self-choosing. It's all about the metrics. There's an intensity to it. But here's how hiking is different. Compared to running, for me, hiking is much more spacious. It's slower. It's broader. And it's communal. You can invite people to it. You can stop, and you can literally feed the birds out of your hands. You have time to do that. Can you imagine somebody feeding the birds as they're running? That couldn't and wouldn't happen. At that point, you're not running anymore. You're hiking. The other aspect I love about hiking is you get to invite people into it with you. It's not just about you. It's not about you and your goals or your metrics. Yeah, you have a destination in mind. How you get there, when you get there, who you get there with, there's space to determine all of that. And this really fits how I feel on the inside. I'm still a task and goal-oriented person, but I really want to do it together with as many people as possible. And I want to be able to stop and eat something. I want to be able to slow down and make comments with each other. I want to be able to enjoy the view, take in what God has for me. I can walk the exact same path I ran. It'll be, feel like a completely different road because when I was running, I saw nothing. But yet when I hike, I see everything. You talk to strangers. We found sunglasses on the way down yesterday, and a mile after we found them, we found the people who lost them, and we gave it to them. You don't do that on a run. And I want to tell you, hiking is about the process. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. It's about embracing liminal space. 
And this is the takeaway that I want you to have today, that your life, stop holding your breath. You're never, ever going to get there in this here life. This life that we live now, it's not about getting it. It's not about achieving it. It's not about crossing it. But it's about letting go. It's about creating space and saying yes to life in a spacious, generous, embracing, resilient way. It's about putting one step in front of the other, not to get there quick, but to walk with your friends, to journey together. Two ideas I want us to meditate about uh, is be patient and be peace. Some of you have picked up on the fact that I've been meditating more lately. Uh, I've meditated three weeks now, and it's been really, really good for me. I haven't missed a single day, and it, it's beginning to do something for me. And so I, I, I hope you experience uh, the whole message today as a kind of meditation. I'm inviting you to ponder and be in your own life and heart and head about this as you hear me drone on and on here, hopefully in a way that uh, allows you to think some good thoughts. <clears throat> be patient. These things, verse 1, 7, 8, and 13, these things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. If you read the whole chapter Thematically, you begin to see the theme of liminal space kind of jumps up off the page. And I think the first idea, the sort of the big meta-narrative that we are uh, invited to think about is this idea of patience. It's kind of like, you be patient. You learn how to endure, how to wait. C.S. Lewis, uh, he says this. He says that when you're hungry, it's evidence. It's not proof, but it's evidence that you were made to eat. There's something true and hardwired by design about you that allows you to experience this pain called hunger. You have hunger pangs. The reason you do is because you were meant to eat it doesn't guarantee that you'll get bread, but it does show that you have the capacity to eat because you were designed for eating. In other words, he says, hunger, the hunger that you feel is a placeholder. That if you feel physical hunger now, you know such a thing as hunger exists, that you are empty, that you are meant to be filled. And so this Hunger for food that you have is a kind of arrow pointing to a hunger beyond the physical hunger. Otherwise, how would you know what hunger is? Hunger is a placeholder for some more broader reality. He says the same thing about time. Why are you always aware of time? Why do you say things like, boy, time flies? Or that was quick. 
oh, this feels so long. Why is there awareness of time in you that you carry with you? Why are you constantly surprised by time? Unless, yes, Lewis says, you are made for eternity. And time just feels uncomfortable because time is temporary. It's not the dimension we will always be aware of. You realize once you're fully in eternity, time becomes a non-issue. Right now we're trapped in this sort of space-time continuum. But not always. And the way we know this is because we are aware of time. He says the same thing about us living in a materialistic universe. He says, why are you so uncomfortable in your physicality? Why are you aware of your body, your broken bones, and your aching body? Why? Unless, of course, we were made for an immaterial universe. We were made for total object permanence. And so when things start degrading, when things start dissipating, then we are saddened by it. We are surprised by it. We don't like it. We want things to not be material, but really spiritual. And so the fact that we live in a material world and are aware of it, C.S. Lewis, is evidence that we are made for God himself. And beyond C.S. Lewis's list of hunger, time, and uh, materialism, why are you uncomfortable with injustice? Why do you have a longing for redemption? Why is your instinct to wipe away tears instead of letting them flow? Why, when you are resting, do you seek to work? And why, when you are working, do you seek rest? All of the realities that we call life here today point us to a different time and place. Life as we know it, all of it, are just kind of placeholders. We're in a waiting period for the real thing. And Jesus says, you know, this life, I'm going away to that place. But while I'm gone, while you're waiting, while I'm asking you to be patient, I'm going to send you a helper. And he's going to teach you things during this time. This liminal space where I'm asking you to wait, God wants to show you some things. The spirit of truth is going to teach you a few things. Richard Rohr, another one of my authors, and I've shared this quote with you before, He says this about liminal space. Suffering is, I am sorry to say, the most efficient means of transformation. And God makes full use of it whenever he can. Grief has unparalleled power to open up our eyes and open our heart, but only over the patient long haul. We must teach people not to get rid of the pain until we have learned what it has to teach us. This is liminal and transformative space. Liminal space, therefore, is a unique spiritual position where human beings hate to be, but where the biblical God is always leading them. It is when you have left the tried and true but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. It is when you are finally out of the way. It is when you are in between your old comfort zone and any possible new answer. It is no fun. If you are not trained in how to hold anxiety, how to live with ambiguity, how to entrust and wait, you will run or more likely you will explain. Everything genuinely new emerges in some kind of liminal space. All the exorcism stories of the Gospels tell us that the only cure for possession is possession. If one is captured by a positive spirit, one can let go of smaller and negative spirits. 
You have something better to hold you and to hold on to. When Jesus enters the scene as the absolute and loving possessor of the soul, the possessed ones are rightly freed from their own false burdens and loyalties. My concern today is that many are trying to exercise the demons without any positive repossession. I can say for sure that there will be no exorcism, only an exchange of demons. Here is what Richard Rohr is saying. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what I'm saying. In this life, as we know it, that we're calling liminal space, the great temptation is to be lost and to escape into the temporary placeholders of life. The temptation is to lose sight of the fact that you are in liminal space and you try to fabricate a permanent world here on earth by being possessed by lesser spirits. So you get possessed by the spirit of money and you try to find, recreate, fabricate some semblance of non-liminal space with money. So you go after it. You want more of it. You get drunk with greed. And that becomes one of the goals in your life. It becomes defining in your life. And you feel like life is about money. You're possessed. Or you think it's about other people. Not realizing that in liminal space, people are actually placeholders. It's not ultimately about each other. It's about God. We are made by him for him. And we together are all made for him. And we forget that and we put all our eggs in the basket of other people. We live for their approval. We seek their liking. We want to be lovable. We want to be uh, well judged by them. And so our whole life is consumed or drunk. We're taken over by the possession of trying to possess other people. Or you have power or other achievements in your life that you're after. And so Richard Rohr, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The only way to live in liminal space is actually to be captured, to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. He alone can help you live in this liminal space. He alone can give you patience that keeps you from being possessed by these other placeholders in your life. So there's a kind, I know this is a little bit of, there's a little bit of complexity and nuance to this. Let me make it real simple for you. You have two choices. You live for the stuff of earth or you patiently endure life here knowing this is liminal space. So you hold things loosely so you, or you hold things tightly. To accept the fact that we live in liminal space now means to hold all things loosely, waiting patiently for all the ultimate reality to come. And we find the strength, the inner strength to do that through the Holy Spirit. This is sort of that real nuanced and subtle message that Jesus is inviting us to consider. Another metaphor Jesus gives in this chapter is this. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain. And that's us now, living in pain, in the liminal space called pain, because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. So she's no longer possessed by the pain because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away 
from you. The life we live now is defined by Jesus as pain, defined by Jesus as grief. There's a life to come when we will see Jesus again, when we are no longer in a waiting period, when we will have joy to the full again. But for now, we wait and we remain in labor, in grief, in pain. Can you accept this? Are you willing to live in this in-between place, waiting for joy to come? <clears throat> uh, Tim Keller, uh, he wrote a recent book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And this is one of my favorite quotes from the book. He says this, Christianity offers not merely a consolation, but a restoration, not just of the life we had, but of the life we always wanted, but never achieved. And because the joy will be even greater for all that evil, this means the final defeat of all these forces that would have destroyed the purpose of God in creation. There one day will be a final defeat of all of the forces that are causing us grief and pain today. The message I want you to hear today is that day is not here yet. And the temptation is to use all of our might, all of our power, and all of our resources to numb the pain away, to hide the pain, to escape the pain, to reject liminal space. And the teaching of Scripture is embrace liminal space. <clears throat> Lastly, it's be peace. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You know, I think it's easy to want peace and to seek peace outside of ourselves. We want other people to be calm. We want the world to be at peace. We want things outside of us to be quiet. That's not the way peace works. Peace doesn't come from the outside in, but peace comes from the inside out. These things, Jesus, I've spoken to you so that where? In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble or tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. And last, remember where Jesus wants to be? In us. It's the peace of Christ in us. When you are in the midst of grief and pain and not joy, and when we have the opportunity to create external peace using all of the resources that are around us, it'll never actually get on the inside of us unless Christ and his peace is on the inside of us. In other words, the equanimity we seek, the courage we need, the assurance we long for, the patience we must have, all that comes from within. It's not that you are finding peace. It's that you are being the peace in the midst of chaos, decay, and pain. It's you. 
You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the peace. You're not the source of it, but you are it. It's Christ in you, the peace of God. Again, I quote uh, from Tim Keller in the same book. He says this, Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. So there's an acknowledgement of suffering in Christianity that fatalism just does not give to us. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Buddhism, on many levels, teaches that suffering is actually not real. And the Bible teaches it is real. Suffering is real. Contra-Karma, suffering is often unfair. Karma teaches that everything is ultimately fair. And the Bible says, no, actually, it's the wicked that prosper. There's a lot of injustice in this world. And contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. Secularism says there's no meaning. It's just about survival of the fittest and the strong eating the weak. And so if you get eaten, it just means you're the weak one. Welcome to the food chain. And Christianity says, no, actually, there's meaning in every tear. Jesus himself will absorb your tear. He will wipe it away. Every sin, yours and theirs, every brokenness, yours and theirs, creation itself will be redeemed. That's meaning. There is a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Now think about this. No matter what life throws at you in this transition space we call time, God, by the power of the Spirit, through the death of his Son, can give you spiritual power and stability more than you can imagine now. You can and you will make it through this place, through this season, until you see Jesus face to face. This is the promise and testimony of Scripture. How do we know this? Because Jesus said, where I go, you will be also. And Jesus died and he rose again. And the same spirit that caused his lifeless body to rise from the dead, that same spirit is now given to you that you may have patience, that you may be peace. Concluding quote. Our life is a time in which sadness and joy, this is Henry Nouwen, out of solitude. He says this, our life is a time in which sadness and joy kiss each other at every moment. There is a quality of sadness that pervades all the moments of our life. It seems that there is no such thing as clear-cut pure joy, but that even in the most happy moments of our existence, we sense a tinge of sadness. Behind every smile, there is a tear. In every embrace, there is loneliness. Joy and sadness are as close to each other as the splendid color leaves of a New England fall to the soberness of the barren trees. When you touch the hand of a returning friend, you already know that he will have to leave you again. When you are moved by the quiet vastness of a sun-covered ocean, you miss the friend who cannot see the same. Joy and sadness are born at the same time, both arising from such deep places in your heart that you cannot find words to capture your complex emotions. 
I'm not sure what's going on in your life today, what pain you live with, what losses, what changes, what pain points, what tensions you carry. Our hope as believers in Christ, it's not the going away. It's not about resolving everything. It's not about closure in this here life now. But it's about knowing how to be patient through it. It's about being peace through it. And one day, Jesus will call each one of us home. We will stand face to face with our maker, and he will love us. And until that day, we are called to be here now. It's not about materialism. It's not about using whatever you have to comfort yourself. It's not about money. It's not even about each other ultimately. It really is about us being called upwards. It's about us uniting with Christ. This is the longing underneath every longing we carry with us today. Underneath every longing you will ever have. As we close, I want to invite you to meditate with me. I'm going to read you a verse. I want to invite you to close your eyes. Sit up, put your hands out open on your laps as a sign of openness towards God. And I want you to think about these words as I say them to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. God, in this liminal space that we call life, there is room in our hearts for you. We're not just trying to get there. but We want to experience joy and company and real life along the way. Help us to do so as we patiently wait, as we bring peace wherever we go. In Jesus' name. Amen.